Welcome to a new season of the Scripts and Scribes podcast. We've got a special episode today where we'll be chatting about the WGAATA standoff a little bit, uh, and as well, answer your burning writer questions. Um, and so let's get started. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga, and today I'm chatting with a longtime friend of the show. He's a top lit manager with probably a million clients on the blacklist and uh, tracking boards young and hungry list. Variety named him one of Hollywood's new leaders, which basically means he's a badass rep. Um, and basically, we're all going to be working for him one day, or working with him, working as, with, as working he likes with. to say, yes. um, very soon. But rather than just list off all of the things he has done, um, which could take the entire podcast, uh, although we will talk more about what's going on, uh, we're just going to start a conversation right now with rock star lit manager and producer, John Zalzerini. Thanks for coming on again, John. Of course. This is always a highlight. Um, before we get into what you're up to um, and answer all those common writer, those burning writer questions, mm-hmm. um, I did want to touch base on you know, sort of a timely issue, which is the WGA-ATA conflict that's currently going on. Uh, for those listeners who don't know, the Writers Guild uh, and the Association of Talent Agencies are sort of uh, butting heads over what's perceived as a conflict of interests. Um, as the talent agencies get more and more into production, uh, you know, financing and having production entity arms of their own agencies, as well as packaging fees, um, and the Writers Guild viewing that as a conflict of interests. Um, last night, uh, the WJ held uh, an informational meeting, uh, which was attended by about 500 members. Uh, and as of this recording, it was last night, which was Tuesday, March 26th. They began voting today, I believe, on the new agency code of conduct that seeks to ban packaging fees and agency ties to production entities, sort of limiting them to their 10% commission, which is what it used to be in the past. Um, But it's obviously a huge driver of profit for the talent agency, so they're obviously reluctant to divest that. Um, And the current franchise agreement between the WJ and ATA is due to expire on April 6th. John is obviously uh, invested in it, but yet not a participant in it, not being, you know, either part of the WGA or the ATA, being a lit manager and producer. So I wanted to take, get your perspective, obviously working with a lot of agents and your clients, obviously being writers, mm-hmm. a lot of writers. What is your take on the whole situation between the WGA and the ATA? Um, well, I think the first thing, uh, and I think even a lot of the agents that I work with have been, uh, would acknowledge this, is that I think the guild's issues are um, very valid. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think the you know they there is definite and and very real cause for concern with those entities. Um, I personally haven't um, experienced those issues, um, but that's because um, you know I think we're a younger management company and we are. Um, our, our TV writers are kind of more in the uh, come up and coming level. Um, these are really issues that um, become, for the most part, um, issues for high level TV writers. They don't really affect feature writers um, that much, and that's more of what my experience is. Although my, the TV side of our company is is quite growing, but I think they're very valid concerns, um, and uh, you know I, I think that they are things that need to be addressed. Um, I don't personally know that um, you know, we'll come out of this, however, whenever we come out of this, um, hopefully sooner rather than later, with no packaging anymore and you know, Endeavor content closed down and the other companies closed down. I mean, I also know people there and, and they're good people who are, I think, looking 
to, you know, make, you know, we, we need more buyers. You know, Fox just merged with um, Disney. Fox 2000 just got shut down, which was an amazing company that produced many, many um, incredible films. I was just reading an article and listening to a podcast about Fight Club, and they made Fight Club. They made, you know, amongst a million other amazing films, you know. Um, and so, you know, there are other buyers. Now, but at the same point, you know, and for the guilds and, and writers' concerns, you know, is there a conflict of interest when your agency is also a buyer? Isn't there necessarily a scenario where you'll be steered towards that buyer um, because that's what's better for the agent or the agency? Um, you know, I, I think that's a very, very valid concern. Um, you know, the packaging fees, obviously, there's also a weird cause of concern when you're, if your agency is a co-owner or a co-profit participant, that they may not be, um, you know, there to, there to fight for you. And so I think that is a concern. I think the situation is um, that there is, I think what everyone agreed is that there's not always um, the capacity for, not, well, the capacity is different. There's not always abuse of the system, but there have been abuses, and there's definitely the capacity for abuse. And so where I think we'll end up at is a compromise situation where the, the that capacity for abuse has been, um, done away with or at least limited. Um, uh, you know, I don't know if that will be at all be banned or, or be done with. Um, you know, maybe I'm wrong and maybe the guild will, will hold fast until that that happens. I also think that the agencies are going to hold fast. So um, I, I don't 100% know what will happen. Um, but it's in my nature as a rep to try to fight, for, try to hope for a compromise, essentially. Um, you know, it is one of the scenarios where I do think it's very likely that the vote will be very high. Um, I would probably at this point say it's more likely than not that, um, that, you know, there is a scenario where the, the, uh, the age, or where, you know, WG members are instructed to fire their agents. Um, and, you know, that will be something that people will have to do. Um, whether or not they even agree necessarily or whether or not they voted. Um, and that's something that, you know, I tell my clients, obviously it's everyone's personal decision, but I think it's a good prudent decision because you want to support your guild. Um, and then we'll be in a scenario where, you know, in staffing season, uh, especially for the people who are more, you know, you know, staff writer, story writer, and around, you know, below producer level writers, I think especially, it's, they're going to be the vulnerable ones because you have a staffing season where, the agencies are not involved, and they are generally the funnels for that information. Um, I know that myself, I've kind of, we had a good big meeting with our clients two weeks ago, and we said, look, we're going to fight as hard as we can for you, for especially for the staff, people in staffing, because I think that's the primary cause of concern. But we're going to need the, the writers themselves to step up and utilize their networks and utilize the WGA systems and, and identify opportunities for us so we can pursue those opportunities together. Um, so, you know, I do believe that we'll be in a situation where, um, we can all work together, um, but I do think it, I, I, it's a little scary. It's definitely a little scary. I think for my future clients, it doesn't make a, a massive difference. If this goes on for six months, it'll definitely make a difference. I don't think, uh, I don't know that people foresee it going on that long, but we just don't know. The last strike uh, 10 years ago went on for four months, mm -hmm. you know. Um, I think this is a little different, um, but uh, I think it, 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 it will have a ripple effect, absolutely. And my hope is that kind of a la the last potential strike, which got kind of nipped in the bud um, about two years ago, um, just right at the kind of 11th hour. My hope is that the same thing will happen here and that we won't have it be in a scenario where people are forced to um, fire their agents, um, willingly or not. 
but uh, you know that very well could happen, and that would be my guess is that it will happen right now. Um, so yeah, I, I think the guild has very valid issues, um, but I, I hope that um, there can be some kind of compromise and that we can get through this and get back to the business of making money because it's hard enough as it is. This is an industry that's in it's been in turmoil for gosh at least the last ten years, you know, um, certainly since the last writer strike. Um, and, and, you know, and so it is, you know, with this Fox merger occurring, uh, amongst many other things, I think it is, it, is a, it is a trying, tumultuous time. Right. And you had mentioned, because part of this code of conduct that the WGA is proposing, for those, again, who don't know, you know, have enough of the backstory, um, with this code of conduct, if agencies do not sign it, which they have come out and said they will not, um, the WG could force, technically, I don't know if they, they, they haven't will. stated, they, they said they could force their members to fire any agent who does not agree to the code of conduct. Um, and some 800 plus WGA members mm. did sign off on it, including numerous high-profile showrunners and creators like uh, Tina Fey, Aaron Sorkin, Shonda Rhimes, Greg Berlanti, Dave Simon, Seth MacFarlane, and interestingly enough, a number of, of screenwriters and filmmakers like John August, Joel and Ethan Cohen, Diablo Cody, mm. uh, Peter Jackson... Uh, I mean, the thing with all that Joss kind of Whedon, stuff, as, as nice as a, de- yeah. as a thing as it is, is like, those. Pe- no one's like, oh man, Josh Whedon fired his agent, he'll never get an agent again. Mm-hmm. I think the, the bigger sacrifice is going to be made, as nice as that gesture is, the bigger sacrifice is being made by the people who it really was a struggle to get an agent. Sure. Um, and that, and, and, you know, they will go back, and, and I don't know if everyone's going to be able to go back right back to their agents, you know? Right. Um, it may or may not be as smooth as that. And so it is nice that, that the kind of the big gesture was made right but no one's not going to sign tina fey when right. this is sure, all over absolutely um and so i think the bigger gesture and no one's not going to know how to reach t- tina fey the bigger <laughs> gesture is going to be made by the the middle class uh, uh of the what i would call the middle class of the wga sure. which is the people who are not you know names that we recognize i think those are the people who are really taking a risk and and making a sacrifice for something that you know that they believe in or at least a guild that they believe in right um so, do you first off, do you believe that the WGA would enforce this code of conduct and make clients? 100%. 100%. And, and then conversely, do you believe that the ATA would stand strong and wouldn't have smaller agencies that don't necessarily package and have production entities not step out and say, you know, hey, if any clients want to sign with us kind of thing? I and, think and, that a few relatively small agencies, right. like really small, I'm, I'm not... You know, there's obviously the big kind of three or four, and then there's kind of, you know, places that are more mid-sized agencies like Paradigm, Verve, right. APA, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. Um, I don't know that what I would classify as like the top seven, eight or agencies necessarily would do that. Definitely some small agencies could do that. Here's the reality, though. Let's say small agency number five is like, yeah, look, guess what, guys? Tina Fey, Joss Whedon, sign with me. Do, is anyone really believing that those people, that that agency is going to, like, Joss Whedon's going to stay there, like, after this thing is done. I think they might get, it's very chance that they might get some people um, who are, like, mid-level TV writers or something like that. Sure. But the reality is, I, I don't necessarily know that, you know, if you're with your agent or your agency, hopefully you're, you're happy with them, at least them as a person, whether the agency you're not as crazy about, but hopefully you're happy with that person. Um, I, I don't know that it's as simple as, especially if this thing goes for a limited number of weeks. Um, so I don't really personally see, I think if this thing goes on for months, there's a different conversation to be had. Right. But I don't, I don't personally see 
you know, kind of smaller tier agencies breaking ranks as, as a major cause for concern for the, the ATA, in mm -hmm. my opinion. Now, as a manager, you had mentioned that like in preparation for the possibility of this, mm -hmm. you've started to talk to, speak to clients about, hey, you know, this pilot season or the staffing season, excuse me. Yeah, we had a we had a kind of meeting with all with all we kind of reached out to our clients who are in the guild and we had a meeting for everyone who wanted to attend. And we had a phone call for people who couldn't make the meeting right. or were like don't live in Los Angeles. Right. So we kind of walked them through, hey, here's the scenario. Less the scenario, it's not really hundred percent my job to explain the situation. It's mm -hmm. more the guild's job to explain the situation. But you know, we kind of walked it through. Because a lot of people weren't paying attention to this till about a month ago. Um, and then we walked through like, look, here's what could happen. And mo the most important thing that we wanted to communicate was that Bellevue as a company would be, you know, there all the way and that we would do everything we could to keep things going smoothly. Mm -hmm. Now, you think that with staffing season coming up, a lot of the trend, if this does actually happen and mm -hmm. agents are no longer in the picture, at least temporarily, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the onus will be put on you guys. You know, well, I mean, over, I don't even basically. need to think that it's been stated yeah. as much by yeah. the WGA. Um, they have uh, essentially offered up that, that we will be able to negotiate for our clients. Um, to me, it's somewhat unclear from a legal point of view if they have the capacity to offer that up. They believe they do. Right. Um, but there's also this state law situation. And, you know, I, the reality is, um, you know, I think we advocate for our clients and we'll continue to advocate for our clients. Um, but I think we're always working hand in hand with our um, clients to add, uh, to um, identify opportunities. Sure. I think that'll be a big part. I mean, look, the reality is in TV, you know, ATA conflict or notwithstanding, a big part of getting staffed is not just the hard work of your of your representatives, but relationships you have. Absolutely. And if you used to work with someone who's on this show or involved in this show, that's great because they're gonna, you know. It's, uh, I don't mean to say it's all who you know, like it's some kind of nepotism thing, but it's more like, let's say you worked on a TV show as a PA or something. You know, I've had clients who worked as script coordinators and assistants, and later on, one of those, the writer who they knew got a TV show, and they're like, I remember you as a script coordinator, as a PA. You were great. I like you. Right. And so it's not necessarily nepotism in that sense. It's about people kind of earning their, you know, oh, I, I know this person. Or or let's say someone who works on the show is a, is a good friend of yours or they used to work with you. They can vouch for you. Right. It doesn't always work that way. I've, I had, you know, many clients staffed and they didn't know anyone on that show. Sure. I just got a client staffed on a Netflix so, show who literally did, I signed her in August, didn't get an agent until like November, December, and, you know, worked in a whole other industry. She was, you know, investment banking prior to this. She had no relationships. She just wrote an amazing script and went and had an amazing meeting and, and you know, she earned that job. We have other scenarios where there's been shows and, and there was a relationship. But, you know, the reality is for every scenario where a client had a relationship, they're not the only young writer that that, that, that showrunner knew. That, young, that showrunner knew 20 young writers. Right. Um, so I think you still have to earn your place. But there is a fair amount of relationshipness to it. Um, and I think with this eight potential ATA conflict, if it does come to pass, I think writers are going to have to step up in a way even bigger than they would normally, especially in identifying opportunities. Because if we're going to, we don't have the, the resources of an agency. I mean, nobody does. That's why agencies exist. Um, and so, you know, don't be like, hey, put me up for every show. Be like, hey, here's three or four or five shows that I think I would be amazing for so we can be targeted right. in our approach. Uh, and in reaching out to people on those shows. Because if you're like, here's 40 shows, that's going to be a lot harder to cover than three or four or five shows that you either have relationships with or you feel like your work is a great um, 
you know, yeah. sample for, yeah. a great fit for. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And then don't just don't say Game of Thrones. <laughs> Everyone's always like, "What's your favorite?" Like, I'd love to work on Game of Thrones. Yeah, you and every never mind, it's over. Right. Number right. two, yeah, you and if it's like, you know, what would you like to direct? A Star Wars movie. Right. Yeah. Okay. Right. Um, um, so that's so basically, you're saying that everyone querying you should write. I really want to write. Yeah. On Game of I really. <laughs> guess what? I would like. To, I'm here's my Game of Thrones sample. Right. Um, yeah. Um, so how does this? Because a lot of our listeners are unrepresented in, mm-hmm. in that process. Absolutely. Uh, which is, uh, so, but for, so, well, The good news is it doesn't yeah. affect, if you're not in the guild, it doesn't affect you. Right, but for them looking for reps, mm-hmm. does it make it easier or harder to get a rep who is an agent and it, or a manager? It does it make it harder to get a manager be because you guys easier. are going to be so busy? It may easier. be easier. Uh, I don't know. I mean, look, I don't know. I'm not going to sit here and be like, all right, we can take advantage of this situation well, no, not, for You're going to be swamped probably, right? So it's yeah. probably harder to land a manager coming I up the- if it happens. Theoretically. 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 Right. But I don't really think it's going to make a difference. If right. I'm being very real about sure, it, sure. agents, in my experience, tend to sign people... Um, Either a manager brought them to them, right. or some, they had a viral video. They wrote a movie that got into Sundance. Right, there's some sort of referral or heat. Right. That, yeah. Now, I don't think they're going to start reading query letters. Um, look, would it be a good time to maybe get the, the attention? With assistants major? sitting around doing sure. nothing, maybe? Theoretically. I, wouldn't, I, I don't think everyone should be looking at it as a golden opportunity. No, no, absolutely. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know, maybe. Maybe. Maybe, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure there will be. I'm sure out of a negative situation, there will be positive things for someone. I just haven't really turned my mind to those situations because right. I'm focused on you know my existing clients and and doing doing well by them. Sure, absolutely. Um, now, Endeavor CEO Ari Emanuel said of the this conflict of interest concern, um, "quote There's lawyers, there's accountants, there's managers." End quote. In terms of why writers shouldn't be concerned at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so being one of said managers, and now, at least according to Ari Emanuel, deputized defender of your client's, uh, writer client's salary and uh, uh, best interests, um, what is your sort of, like, not just legally, like what can, because we've already brought up, is, you know, negotiating mm-hmm. on, in that level. Like, is that a role that you think, like, the attorney, um, the uh, manager and the accountants, do you think that's enough of a check for that, or, you know, checks and balances for, you know, the agents and the production entities? And, it's hard and... for me to say, to be, to be blunt, because right. I don't have clients who are showrunner level. Sure. You know, um, I mean, not yet, or there's people who are like, I think, could create shows, but I don't have, I don't represent David Shore. Do you know what I'm saying? Sure. Um, it's hard for me to say. I, I don't, I, you know, I don't want to sit here, sit here and say Ari Emanuel is wrong. I think, um, I would just say that if there's a scenario, if there's a situation where there is capacity for um, exploitation, it it's it should be looked into. Um, I think anytime there, I mean, anytime there's anything like that, I think there's. I mean, look, I think let's talk about something else. Let's talk about the fact that there was a massive lawsuit by the creators of Bones and the profit persons of Bones against Fox Studios because they believe that Hulu was. They, that Fox sold who, their show to Hulu at a at a, essentially a sweetheart deal. Essentially, what they're saying is Bones was sold to Hulu 
cheaply mm-hmm. because Fox co-owns Hulu. Right. So they didn't go out and get the best price for it mm-hmm. because they were like, we want to do right by Hulu because we co-own it, essentially. Right. People of Bone said, that's not fair. We could have made a lot more money if you hadn't cut a sweetheart deal. Right. So this lawsuit was, gosh, I don't know, four or five years ago, and it finally went to an arbitrator, which is what normally happens with these things, because everyone signs these things that says, you know, in the event of blah, 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 arbitration. And the arbitrator ruled very heavily in favor of the Bones profit participants and said, hey, you know, Fox Studios did cut a deal that doesn't look like it was fair. Mm -hmm. And that's a $135 million issue, you know what I'm saying? So I think that's an example of where the capacity for self-dealing can be a problem, um, and, and to be blunt, you know, I think that is a, a pretty big concern as well. And so I guess what I was, I'm not trying to be in a scenario where I call R. Emanuel a liar because um, uh, he's, you know, very smart and, and I re- all the dealings I've had with WME have been fantastic. Sure. Um, I, I would just, you know, my personal, ex- I've never had any personal experience with anything like that is what I would say. But I, I think I wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if there are people who have had negative personal experiences. Right. Um, the potential I, is there. The pe- certainly the potential is there. Sure. I would say I would certainly say the potential is there. I think the concerns of the guild are reasonable ones, but um, I also do think that the solution is not to shut down the system mm-hmm. or to shut down packaging or. or I, I think to shut down packaging fees. Um, those are I'm not definitely not even as familiar as I am with the kind of separate entities. But um, I would be surprised if something that's been in place for a long time got completely shut down. Right. It's possible. Right. Um, because but the I, production entities are sort of a newer thing. Yeah, they're, they're much, much newer right. thing. Right, whereas and packaging I, fees have been around for decades. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, packaging fees, I don't know. I've never had any dealings with it. it. It seems a little to me like a bit of a champagne problem. Right. Um, but <laughs> I can obviously see that there is, and there has been, the capacity for exploitation and sure. self-dealing. Um, you know, there's always there's always kind of bad apples in a situation. And I think, you know, again, I just go back to the guild has some valid points, um, but I don't, but I am, and I'm hoping a compromise can be, can be reached, essentially. Right. Absolutely. So everyone can stay working. Um, so let's see. Uh, okay. Now, I wanted to touch base. Now we can, we can, we can push, put that aside now uh, and move on to some more positive topics. Uh, like, uh, I wanted to ask you about the blacklist, mm-hmm. and uh, you have, I don't know how many clients you have. This year this we had, I'm very proud to say we had the, we had seven scripts in the blacklist, which made us, we tied for number one management company alongside Kaplan Perone, right. which makes me very proud because Bellevue uh, at the moment when, for the blacklist was was only two managers. Sure. Um, and uh, Jeff Portnoy and myself, and, we, and then Kaplan Perone is like nine managers, so right. I feel like we did. Very, we had a good batting average, essentially. Right. Like um, you did the work of four and a half other managers. Zero, three and a half. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, you're at yeah. nine. Geez, yeah. um, my math is off. This is why I'm a manager. Um, <laughs> uh, yes, I theoretically. Uh, but you know, I mean, look, we were also just. I think we we're just very fortunate, and I don't expect it to happen next year or every year or anything like that. So, um, but yeah, we did. We did. We did well. It was a lot of fun. It was a very fun party. I'll, I'll say that. <laughs> um. Uh, we were talking earlier about things that, uh, because we get asked a lot mm-hmm. about writers who are looking to get their first rep. Sure. Um, and we get asked a lot about everything from, you know, what to put in a query, how long it should be, what time of day mm-hmm. to query, all this type of stuff. Um, 
we were talking a little bit about extreme stories and hmm. what not to do. Um, mine was when I worked at CIA, uh, a writer walked into the atrium that we had, a three-story atrium, holding up the script, screaming out loud the log line, was escorted out of the building by security, obviously. Um, don't do that. Yes, um, definitely. And, and you had mentioned, actually... Uh, uh, I had someone recently... Um, I had someone recently... <sighs> they had called me, they had emailed me, I think they had, like, Facebook messaged me, too... Um, and then I just got a call from my receptionist, and then like, there's you're someone here to see you at two. You know, your two thirty is here, and I was like, I don't have a two thirty. And I walked out to see what the situation was, um, and it was someone who's shown up with their mother in a wheelchair, which was weird. Um, you know, their aged mother, and this person was probably in their forties or fifties, mm-hmm. and uh, they're like, hey, I couldn't reach you, so I decided to show up in person. Um, and uh, and you know, I tried to explain to him that. You know, one of the things we look for, and, and I think a lot of writers out there, unfortunately, mistake um, drive for almost desperation for drive or something like that. Uh, I would say the things we look for are talent on the page, absolutely. But another thing is professionalism. Mm-hmm. And professionalism does not involve, when you've gotten no response, showing up at someone's office um, without an appointment. It's just not, it's not a reasonable way to act. You know, he was very upset that I wouldn't give him five minutes. He's like, I, showed, I drove all this way. I didn't ask him to right. drive all that way. It's not very kind of him. I wouldn't show up at someone else's office and be like, I'm here. It's, it's not respectful of that other person's time. And to be honest with you, it's kind of scary um, and kind of weird. And, right. um, and I, I took down my address uh, after that um, from my website because I don't want other people showing up. Um, and it definitely was like, it's not really not going to get you repped. It's not going to get you right. No one's going to reward bad behavior. Um, you know, honestly, like, the, here's my, my simple answer with people is like, yes, I have found clients through query letters, but I would say more and more it's becoming less of a thing. Mm-hmm. Here's what you need to do. You need to get in a, the number one, the, my number one uh, places that I recommend is, now first off, the blacklist website. Um, you know, which is to not to be not to be confused with the annual blacklist, which is a completely separate entity. But the blacklist website, now people are like, oh, I don't want to have to pay money or this or that. But you know what? I found new, that client that I just mentioned who got staffed on a TV show mm-hmm. or signed in August. I found her on August on the blacklist website. I found her. She'd written an amazing pilot. I, it, so what happened was, I'll walk it through because it's a good example. So she'd written this pilot. Um, it's, I, I read the log line. It came to me, like, I get an email once or twice a week that's like, recommended, you know, TV show, recommended features, recommended pilots. And she'd written this pilot, and it sounded really interesting. So I clicked on it, and I read it, and I really liked it. And I reached out to her, and she, at the time, lived in New York, but was moving to L.A. She had previously worked for the last 10 years in, in investment banking and in the financial industry in various capacities, which, by the way, was what the show was about. Mm-hmm. So it was speaking her... Wasn't her story, but it was elements of her of experiences she had, or certainly experience world she knew, um, which was great. Yeah, absolutely. You know, not a requirement, but great. But it was very interesting. It was, it was kind of like in the vein of like billions, but from a, the point of view of a, of a young um, woman, kind of starting out, because um, that was you know experiences that she'd had. So we met when she came to town. She was delightful, super talented. We did some work on the pilot. Um, I happened to be at that. You mentioned I was a variety new leader. I was at the party for that. I met this agent who was really smart and great, and I mentioned, well, I just signed this, 
incredibly talented writer. He's like, well, send it to me. And that was, I think, November or something. Mm -hmm. um, so I, October, November, I sent him the pilot. He flipped out for it, signed her. We met with him, and he signed her. Uh, and then we started taking her out. And in February, we got her staffed on her first show, um, which is crazy. That's the fastest. I told her, like, you're like the story that, you know, I usually takes a year or two years, but, like, it just happened perfectly for sure. her. Um, and that was all, she's super talented, um, you know, but, you know, I'm sure she'd written other scripts before this, but she's super talented. She's phenomenal in the room. Um, I think you know, it speaks to her quality as a person, but also her background where she kind of had to present and, and be a person. But I found her on the blacklist and if she was talented and now she's a writer on a, on a TV show, right. you know? Um, and, and so I first would say like the blacklist, I'm a big, big fan of it. You know, I, you know the kind of website, you know, Franklin Leonard and I used to work together, so I, I couldn't, I think, I told him many times, I think you've changed so many people's lives. Mm -hmm. um, it's what people were looking for, which is a way to find talented writers without, you know, you know, without necessarily, I can go on there and read a script, and if I don't like a script, I don't have to, like, deal with passing, I've just read it. You right, know? right. Um, but the reviews tell me what I like. Oh, they don't, sorry, that's not true. The reviews tell me, point out things to me, but I'll, like, click two or three of them and read them and, like, Sometimes I don't like any of them. Sometimes one or two are amazing, you know? Right. Um, so the, I'm a big fan of the Blacklist website. I'm a big fan of the Austin um, Screenwriters. I don't know the name of it, but I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, the uh, Austin, Austin Writers Festival, I believe it's called. Sure. I'm a judge for that. And we signed, I've signed at least one or two clients out of that. My client, Chris Devlin, mm -hmm. who sold Cobweb, which was in the Blacklist last year and was also, also Wretched Emily Derringer. I signed him Wretched Emily Derringer, uh, three or four years ago, which by the way didn't even win the, the it was in horror category and didn't even win the category mm -hmm. for uh, Austin you know festival and then he's gone on to have a great grace sold Cobweb last year to Lionsgate, which is super exciting, um, and you know he's got a great career and so uh, you know those are the two ones that I'm most familiar with but you know there are you know check out the, other, the other other competition I'm not as big as a competition person people are like I won this rant blah 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 competition I'm like I don't know what the heck that is so right. I don't really care but like you know if you do your research and I'm sure you've spoken about these scholarships you know that's yeah. important uh, not scholarships these competitions there's also the fellowships that we've kind of that you know where the TV, which are TV focused for the most right. part but you know look look for reputable fellowships look for reputable competitions the blacklist is a great resource um, query letters I'm less inclined towards but i would say look phone calls don't do them just don't do them mm -hmm. nobody nobody wants a phone call it's i was reading i was reading on like done deal pro which i go on sometimes and they're like i cold calling people are getting very rude in their cold calls and it's like nobody wants a phone right. call like you could email the right. end you know well, yeah how do you like people like cold calling you yeah, you know, telemarketers. Well, nobody, nobody ever, that. nobody ever thinks about it that way. They're right. always like, "Well, this is a job, and you should respect the hustle." Um, yeah, no, not really. Um, you know, I, people get message me on LinkedIn. People message me on Facebook. People message me on freaking Instagram. Everything, you know. Right. And it's like, no, it's not the proper way to do it. You know. And I know people think that like if I just keep pushing, okay, but it doesn't work that way. Right. Um, I think you know. The thing, it's so, so funny, there was a thread going on on Twitter, which is, kind of became infamous, where like Chris McQuarrie and Eric Heiser and Brian Kopelman were, were, Ryan Johnson were weighing in about, you know, breaking rules and how there are no rules. The only rule is essentially to be an exciting read. And then all these kind of amateur screenwriters were like, actually, that's not true, you know, which was <laughs> hilarious because, and Kopelman really blew his mind. He's like, 
number one screenplays, you know, writers in the world, here's what we think, amateur writer, you're wrong, you know? He's like, that's because some people really like rules, they really like to believe, and I was going to weigh in, but I don't really tweet very much, and I was like, well, I feel like I don't, you know, what can I say that Chris McQuarrie can't say? But my feeling was, as a rep, because people's big thing was like, well, you know, you're big name writer, so you can get away with it. Uh, and they were like, well, that's how we made our names, you know? But people were like, no, 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 it's different, it's different, it's different. I will tell you, it's all about writing an amazing script. And if you're sitting around blaming the rules for the reason that your screenplay didn't get a reaction, go write another script. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, the reality is people gravitate to good work. They just do. Mm -hmm. uh, it's certainly been my relationship. And, you know, I just talked about, you know, found the script in the blacklist and it was like that, you know? Um, and so, you know, people gravitate to good work. And if you're not getting the reaction you want, look, take a long, hard look in the mirror and be like, okay, am I writing the things that are interesting to people? And I'm, is the writing of a quality that's interesting to people? I've spoken about this on many other podcasts, but yeah. you've like, is, is what I'm writing about interesting? Because if you're writing a script about painting a room, better be the best fucking thing of all time because <laughs> right. it's really hard. So find a topic that is naturally intriguing and doesn't feel like it's been written a million times before, sure. you know? Um, and so that's my thing. And, and, and if you get it out there, I swear, if you do, if you're writing an amazing script, you will eventually have success. If you're finding that you've written the script and it's been a year and you just haven't gotten the reaction from it, write another screenplay. Right. I think that's true for, if people look at other industries, they're like, oh, your product didn't sell. It probably wasn't good enough. Or like I watch, the rules of Shark Tank apply here. You've solved a problem that doesn't exist. Right. You know what I'm saying? Or this doesn't feel different enough from other products. You right. know, Think of that with screenplays. Is my script really that good? And I think people can be loath to look inwards and be like, oh, the problem is in the industry or that I haven't made enough cold calls or that like I broke rule number five or something like that the the problem is that my script's just not interesting enough right yeah i mean if you get it out to one person and they don't like it that could be their taste but if sure. you get it out to 40 people and nobody responds it's probably something to do with the material or yeah the I marketplace mean, it's not so many freaking query layers i get are just like I have this amazing screenplay. There is a person, they go camping in the woods and then they get attacked by a killer and they right. go on the run and she must survive. The, and it's like, really? Did you really, <laughs> did you not talk to anyone about this concept? Right. Because like, if you pitch that to anyone who wasn't your best friend or your mom, they'd be like, yeah, yawn. Like, honestly, like, I know like sometimes Save the Cat was like incredibly popular and now it's like maybe too popular so it'd be a backlash. But I think about it all the time. He's like, go and tell five random people your idea and see how they react. And make sure they're not just like, yeah, get a great idea, crazy person. Get out of my face. Right, right, right. Like, is it actually a really interesting idea? And be like, well, it's really similar. It's like Taken, but with a woman or, or I don't know, whatever. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. It's like, okay, that doesn't feel original. That just feels like you changed some names around. Right. You know? Um, and so is it actually that interesting? Is it actually something going to grab people and be like, I have to read this? Right. You know? And it's... It's funny, people are like, oh yeah, I went and saw a blank, blank movie and felt really boring, repetitive. But here's my screenplay that's boring and repetitive. The same rules you apply to the movies and the television shows you see, which I'm sure everyone, you know, if you're a, fan, if you're a writer, you're probably a fan of television and movies. Or if you're not, you've got a larger problem. <laughs> um, the same bar that you set for a new TV show or a new movie, set for yourself. Don't be like, eh, this is good enough. Right. The words good enough should never be in a writer's vocabulary. Right, that's... Yeah, absolutely.
Um, I've got a few writer questions here um, that I wanted to run by you and see if you sure. can you share your wisdom and insight My with wisdom. us. Um, a lot of writers have sort of a low, very low percentage of responses to their query emails. Mm -hmm. And that could be due to any number of reasons. Um, but from like I've read zero on the low end, like nobody will respond to my That's queries. That's pretty low end. Yeah. To, you know, 10 to 15% maybe on the high end. Yeah. yeah. And these are ones that are not including obviously referrals or, right. you know, um, they're just blind queries. Right. Um, from blind queries, you said it's not as big of a part of your you know. It was when I was starting, but right, like, it's less now. so now. But what percentage would you say of queries that you receive in your inbox mm. that you'll actually respond to? At this point, it's pretty low, honestly. And I don't know if that just speaks to... Um, it's hard to quantify that because there's so many... Like when I, Even when I started as a manager like four years ago or mm -hmm. whatever... There, I feel like the blacklist wasn't as big a thing. It may not even have been a thing yet. Uh, I can't remember. Um, I feel like you know I'm on like virtual pitch fest. That wasn't a thing. Um, blah blah blah. So I feel like right now there are more avenues for people to get their material out. So maybe less people are, are choosing to query, or maybe the better writers are choosing not to query. They're choosing to focus their efforts on fellowships and you know well-known competitions and well-known you know and stuff like the blacklist or whatever. Um, I don't know. It feels like the level of the queries have gotten more and more generic, in mm -hmm. my opinion. Um, I don't know. Or maybe that's just the things I'm, I'm observing. I would say it's pretty low at this point. You know, like something on Virtual Pitch Fest, I think one out of ten or something I'll respond to, which it sounds about pretty right, right? Yeah. Um, you know, it's like how many dates do you go on before you meet the person you, you want to go on a second date or a right, third date right. on, you know? Um, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, like, I feel like the blacklist is super helpful because they have people reading. Right. Now, look, I know people are going to be like, well, the people who are reading for the blacklist or the first tier at the Austin Film Festival, they, I broke the rules and they didn't like that. All I know is, like, you know, Richard Emily Geringer, I'm going to spoil Chris's script because it's like four or five years old now. It opens with a 13-year-old girl, girl uh, killing a priest. Do you mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Right. Um, so, like... You're That's gonna... not breaking the rules. I don't know what is, right. you know? So, like, I don't really buy that. Um, and I found, you know, really amazing writers through mm -hmm. those methods, you know? Um, well, having been a reader myself right. and, and a story analyst, what I would say is mm. a lot of the rules that you probably shouldn't break mm. are there for a reason. Like, don't have your first act be 70 pages long. And I've yeah. read scripts like that because it, it, no one's going to last that long. I wouldn't say that's a rule. In, in well, the, in the act structure. Yeah, what I mean, what I mean is, what, yeah, that's more just like you're a bad writer. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, that's like saying, oh, here's my painting, and it's and it's 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 like incomprehensible or whatever. I you know right. like painting's maybe Monar is not the best thing to use example of. Right. Here's my water bottle that can't hold any water. Right. And it's, it's like, well, you didn't. The rule you broke was that's not actually a water bottle. Right. They didn't actually write a screenplay. The rules are like. You know, you can never, like, you can't say, like, we push in on, or, like, you oh, can't right, say, right. like, you know, will you, how would the reader convey that emotion, or there's no way that the actor would convey, like, you know, she thinks about, or whatever the heck the thing is, you sure. know what I'm saying? Or, or you're not allowed to, like, write in that style, or, like, all this kind of crap, you right. know what I'm saying? Like, but if you read a Bill Goldman script or a Shane Black script or whatever, like, they don't, they're breaking their, their yeah. quote-unquote rules left and right and so i guess what i mean by the rules is less like structural rules right. which to me are just like that's just that's just that's not a rule that's just kind of like 
It's like you're trying to build an IKEA cabinet, and you're like, man, I don't, I don't, <laughs> don't want to use the screws I don't at all. Follow the rules, man. Yeah. And it's like, well, then you just didn't. There's nothing. There's yeah. nothing there. Uh, but you know, if you want to breaking the rules is more like, you know what? Like, I'm going to, I'm going to kill off my main character in ten pages and go do some, or whatever the whole thing is. You know, right? Um, that's just interesting. You know. Right. Um, and so, well, actually, it's just talking about you know killing off your main character. Sure. Um, one of the fun things I found, like when I read the the uh, pilot for CSI, I don't know if you've seen CSI the pilot or read it in a long, long time. Long time. But I read the pilot for CSI, and it involves the main character. Of the I don't remember <coughs> his name, the guy. Mm. Um, and there's a new detective in the CSI force. And uh, she's sort of the fish out of water, so right, you right, can explain right, right, right. what this world is. So it's a great, you know, narrative device. But at the very end of it, if you haven't seen it, a spoiler alert. At the very end CSI, of it, I think it's okay to do They that. kill off the character. Right. So Shield does the exact same thing. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So you know, that's breaking a rule because you have a main character that's basically the focal point of your story, told through her perspective. She's yeah. killed. At the Look, beginning. Here's. Tony Gilroy came and spoke in my class, and it was only an hour or two hours or whatever, and he was awesome, and he said something that... Here's the rule, okay? Here's the rule. The only rule you need to know. Sure. Gilroy said, my job... You know what my job is? My job is to get you to turn the page. The end. Right. That's the only rule that exists. That's it. Everything else doesn't matter. My job is to get you to turn the page. Right. If you can do that... Great, you know, and it, if it's in, make it interesting, you know, um, and I think that is the primary thing. And if people are like, "Oh man, nobody's responding to my query letter," or my scripts aren't getting like the blacklist because I broke the rule. Where like it's not that; it's just your script's boring. Mm -hmm. I, I hate to say it because it sounds um, cruel, and I don't like to be cruel, but I, I really do think that good product rises. It's just there's been so many examples of it, you mm -hmm. know. Uh, I remember the first time I read the script for Juno. How many freaking rules does that break? Or whatever. Sure. People were like, oh my God, this is amazing. Nobody cares who Diablo Cody, nobody cared at the time who Diablo Cody was. All they knew was they were reading something incredible. Right. Um, and I've just seen so many, I mean, you know, my, my, my wife Elise, you know, the first script she ever wrote was Blonde Ambition. The first one, you know. And I had only been a manager for like less than two years at that point. So it's not like I have some deep-seated relationships and I was like, able to, f if I was able to finagle people to success, I would, you know, be even more successful than right. I currently am, you right. know, I wouldn't be working this hard, um, you know, and so I, I, I've seen just so many times when people have created incredibly fun, interesting screenplays and have kind of gone on to success that, um, that I, I don't believe that, that, that there are you know, quote-unquote rules. And I also believe that, like, if, if you're saying, oh, man, here's all the millions of reasons why no one's responding to my work, um, you can make up all the reasons you want. But if you've taken, as, as you said, if you've taken it to, like, 40 people and there's been no real reaction, um, you know, because there's a million ways to do it nowadays. There's, like, you know, all the fellowships and everything mm -hmm. like that. So, like, if you're, like, sending 40 query letters and getting a response, well, okay, the query letters are a hard thing. But right. if you also, at the same time, if given it to the Blacklist website, and you've given it to a fellowship, and you've given it to, you know, fellowship's more of a TV thing, but you've given it to, um, you know, Austin Film Festival, and, and, and the Nichols, Nichols or yeah. whatever. I mean, look, the Nichols is super particular. The Nichols sure. generally veers less commercial, so it's kind of like, man, the Matrix didn't get into Sundance or something. You know, right, it's like, right. that's not really what the Matrix is going to do. Um, but, um, 
but you know, are you, you know, if you're just not getting the response that you are hoping for, then you have to look at the product and you have right. to be like, okay, I got to write another script and it's, it's got to be, I got to learn from what did people not respond to do? And was this really that interesting? Was it really good? You know, I think there's like a, forget who said it. You know what it is? It's, it's one of my, the fav, my favorite book on writing, which is really my favorite book about being a screenwriter, which is Writing for Fun and Profit mm -hmm. um, by, um, oh my gosh, I'm going to forget it's their names. Ben, it's, isn't it the, uh, the, the uh, it's the guys who wrote... Um, uh, Lennon and Grant, right? Lennon and Grant, yes. Phenomenal. Yeah. Less about writing and more about being a writer, per right. se. And they're... They the guys said, that wrote, created nine one, Reno 911. Reno 911, right. wrote Night at the Museum. Just right. amazing, amazing, amazing writers. And this book that they wrote is the best, was a gift from God for, for, for people. Because it's less about, like, write this and write that. It's more about, here's how to think of your career. And right. one thing is, go write your first script. Make it as good as possible. Think it's amazing. Wow, this is the greatest thing. Put it in a drawer. Go write another one. Now finish that. Now go back to your first script. Wow, it's not that great, huh? <laughs> and look, you know, there are exceptions, right? right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I really do think that, you know, if you're not getting the reaction you want, and this is where I come down, I feel like I come back to this point over and over. If you're not getting the point, your reaction you want, then you have to look inward and you have to look at your material and you have to go write another one. And it's a pretty, here's a pretty simple rule. The more you do something, generally, the better you get at it. Absolutely. You know, the 10,000 hours or something. It's not what it is to become a master at something. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. We also get asked a lot in addition to, uh, uh, you know, what sort of response you give to uh, uh, queries, um, what the follow-up procedure should be for submissions? I generally say, you know... Follow-up? Yeah, like if they send you a query oh. uh, and you they submit to you, say, okay, fine, send me your script, I'll, I'll right, read. Right, right, um, I'm generally thinking if they, if they don't respond, they're either not interested, they haven't got to it yet, or they're in the small percentage of chance, they liked it, but want to get a second opinion from somebody else in the company, like an sure, assistant reading happen. it, passing it on to another agent or, or manager or whatever. Uh, but I would say maybe once after a few weeks or a month, maybe. What's yeah, your take on I, that? I think, you know, I try, there's been, there's been times where um, I've been slower than this, but I, I kind of make it a rule to respond within at least two weeks, if not sooner. Um, I just like to like be quick about my responses with people. Um, but, you know, I'm not always perfect. I would say, I kind of say, I, I check in after two weeks with people, but that's what I do because I've given it to people who have response. I would say because you're not a client in this scenario, this person, I would say give it three weeks to a month mm -hmm. and check in once and that's it. Yeah, do you know what I'm Because here's the thing. It's kind of like you're starting off a relationship. If someone, do you want to, I have people email me, by the way, this is, this is another bet noir of mine. It's people like, hey, I've emailed you three times now and no responses. I need to know, do you accept query or whatever it right. is? Will you, why will you not respond to my, my thing? It's like, really? Like, is this really something you think is going to work? It's, you know, if you keep bugging someone, that should tell you something about their interest in your career. Right. You know what I'm saying? So I think checking in once is perfectly fine. But if they haven't responded... Look, there are times when I send out scripts to executives and they never respond to it. Right. And after about three weeks to a month, I'm pretty sure I know what that means. And it means not for me. Because right. if it was for you, you would have read it. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? 
Um, and so you just have to take the pass. Yeah. It's a, there's a term that we use in the industry it's called chasing the pass. And people don't really like to spend too much time chasing a pass because a lack of a response will tell you right. what it is. Yeah. If they're interested, they'll get back to you. They'll yeah. find a way. Um, the silent pass is a real thing. Accept it. Um, the best thing to do is, I don't want to say fire and forget, but for the most part, fire maybe one uh, follow-up, maybe, mm -hmm. if you feel appropriate, and then let it go. Because like we were talking about earlier, desperation, which comes across if you're constantly right. harassing, is not attractive at we'll all. Take, it's not attractive in dating. It's not attractive. We'll take the pass. So number one, take the pass because it's a pass. Sure. But if, you, if in some world you're like, no, no, they, they fell in a ditch and this email will sort of make them like... <laughs> Will make them will like wake them up out of their coma or right. something. Then like, do you really want to have someone who takes six weeks to like? So let's say you emailed them at like the month mark, sure. and then it's been like another two weeks or another month. Do you really want to take someone who takes two months to read your script? Is that someone you really want representing you? Right. Like, what do you what do you what are you gunning for? That's like texting a, a girl or a boy after your date. Hey, I haven't heard from you for two months. What's right. going on? Yeah. Do you really want to date that person? They don't right. seem super enthused about you. Right. Absolutely. You know? That's exactly. That's a great, great uh, referral. Or yeah. Um, so uh, we've covered it a few times on the podcast already, uh, but can you maybe elaborate or explain why it's not a good idea for a writer to include a bunch of different log lines on the same query? Yeah. This is also a good one. Look, the best query, if you're, if you're obsessed with doing queries, if that's something you really want to do with your time, uh, hi, John. If you want to say, like, I love scripts and scribes or whatever, then that's cool, and I appreciate you know, <laughs> the mention. Uh, I have this. You know, I have a sci-fi feature or whatever. Do you know what I'm saying? It's also helpful if you're like, I've noticed that you like sci-fi because you you're producing Infinite or whatever. Do you right. know what I'm saying? Um, if it fits my brand. If you're like, I've got a family adventure, I'm not, don't really do a hell of that. Right. A hell of a lot of that. But, you know, I don't know. Um, it's called The Bad and the Beautiful and Logline, blankety, blank, blank, blank. You know, let me know if this is of interest. The end. That's it. That's the ideal, mm -hmm. platonic ideal of a query letter. And then I never hear from you again if I don't respond to it. Right. Um, uh, when, when is it too soon to, let's say, I have a different script I wrote six months later. Is it okay to query you again with a different logline for a different Yeah, script? I think six months is fine. The people who hit me up every three weeks is freaking weird. <laughs> um, they're going to get it blocked because I'm just like, no, like, no. Because um, they just stack in your Gmail. Like, oh, you know, they gotcha. Could, yeah, well, because yeah, yeah. they're always like the same sender. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, don't, don't send like, because here's the thing. I'm only going to, it's actually very simple. I'm only going to read one log line because I want to know that you're serious, really serious about one script. Mm -hmm. If there's four log lines, um, then like I'll read none of them because they're all equivalently uninteresting to me because you yourself couldn't make a choice about something. Right. You can't say which one the best one is, the one you're most passionate about. You just, just say the one. Just right. say the one thing you know that you're excited about, and like, and that's that. I, I it's so funny. Sometimes I'll be like, like. Like a friend of a friend, or da, 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 like I'm a writer, and I'm like, okay, cool. Well, send me the one script you're most excited about. Well, I can't send one. Here's four, and I'm like, well, you know. <laughs> by the way, they're never all great, right? You know? yeah, 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 yeah. It's usually an indication of a lack of what? What? what I mean, what's one thing I talk about a lot is this um, 
is being decisive, right, about your ideas. And if you're so indecisive that about things in general that here's four, I ask you for one and you send four, it probably doesn't indicate a great amount of like decisiveness in your um, like writing process either. Right, absolutely. Um, uh, now, we, going back to what you had said of you know finding like approaching you because, oh, he's the producer of Infinity, probably like sci-fi, right, right, finding right. someone within that brand. Mm -hmm. um, one writer asked if it was a good idea to seek out a manager who had a lot of clients who work in the same genre, like sci-fi or sure. horror, um, since the belief is that's where your interest, you know, taste lies, sure. but also because probably where you'll have the greatest network of contacts, or is that a bad idea because they could be stacked in that specific genre? I think for managers it's less of an issue. Mm -hmm. for, uh, for agents it's a concern. I definitely have agents who are like, yeah, I already have, it's definitely a TV thing, where they're like, I already have my, like, I only have, like, three or four um, kind of, like, uh, baby writers is what they call them. Right. Um, and I, I can't take on any more. Yeah, they're, they're, that, that's our concern more for agents than for, than for, uh, than for managers. Mm -hmm. I think it's a real concern for agents, though. Because mm -hmm. um, they're, like, they'll hear about an open job and they'll put one of their clients up for it and they don't want to have two clients who kind of, like, have a similar thing. You know? Right, absolutely. I mean, not a really, not as much a concern for managers, no. Okay. Um, what should a writer do, and you may have had this situation, although we don't have to get into specifics of it, if a mm. manager doesn't like their client's latest spec, no, can happens. they pitch it on their own or perhaps they have an agent and try to go out with it anyway on that way? What's the protocol? Uh, by pitch it, I mean, I guess they may, they may think sending it to people. Is that what they I mean? I guess, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Um, look, my rule, and different people operate differently, is if a client's written a script, they, it happens that they don't tell me. They're like, here we go. Then I'm like, okay, um, I'll take this out to like a dozen people or less. You know, I don't want to go huge with it, but I'll take it out and we'll see what the reaction is. And if like we take it to 10 people and, you know, five of them like it, we'll go broader. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? But if, like, no, maybe one or two or none like it, then, like, we, then, the, you know, the, the people have spoken, essentially. Sure. You know? Um, if you're in a scenario where you have an agent and your manager doesn't like it, I'm almost 100% <laughs> that your agent won't like it. Right. There's, like, if, if, if you, that happens, you probably should get a different, if your agent likes it and your manager doesn't like it, you should probably should get a new manager, but I don't know, that's weird. I've never heard of that happening. Right. Um, the agent and manager, I assure you, are a lot closer than you two are, because they talk a lot more probably, but you never know, I don't know. Scenarios are weird. Um, if you wrote a script and your client and your manager doesn't like it, I think, in my opinion, you should, that, that's weird that that evolved into that scenario. It probably means you wrote it without telling them, right? Right. Um, I try not to be in scenarios like that. I try to have my clients tell me about stuff so I can kind of head it off at the pass if I don't like it. But it does happen. Um, you know, I don't know. if I, I, I think you, you, that's, that's, that probably speaks to larger issues uh, with your manager. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, uh, it's hard for me to speak to that particular situation because it's not a situation I would find myself in. Right. But I think you need to talk to your manager and be like, hey, I know you don't love this, but I feel like you need to expose this to you. If you have a man agent and the agent somehow likes it, look, I'll, I've been scenarios where I'm not crazy about a script and the client does have an agent, I take it to the agent. Um, I've never had a scenario where the agent loved the script more than I did. Right. But hey, anything's possible. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I think then you kind of take it from there. But it sounds like that 
that's it's kind of like that's kind of the question of like what if I bought a car and my husband or wife or partner um, didn't like it? Can I still keep the car? Like I don't know. That speaks, <laughs> seems like you get larger issues in that right. relationship than the car right. essentially. <laughs> um, so it might be time to move on from that manager or that manager to move on from you. Right. Because it seems like you know it happens. It definitely There's happens. There's a disconnect there. But it seems like how did it get to that situation? The thing about that situation is kind of like here's this thing. It's like but what was the backstory and how did it get to that point? Right. Essentially. And that speaks to larger things. I would say you don't want to do something. You do, I, you, I would be upset if a client took a script out to, to producers that I'd set them up with or people that I knew and yeah. didn't tell me about uh-huh. it. That would yeah, be very yeah, yeah. weird for me because I'd be like, why aren't you telling me about this necessarily? Right. Like, that's my job. You right. know? And right. if you don't believe it's my job and you're doing it without me, then we have larger issues in our relationship. Sure. Why shouldn't a writer write an adaptation uh, for an existing IP that they had no rights to. Would you even read a spec like that? Um, like, say someone wanted to make a new Terminator sequel, right. and you know, they decided to write it even though they have no rights to it whatsoever. So there's, there's a few issues to do with it. The first issue is purely a legal issue. Anyone's ever been involved in a Terminator movie will never read your thing because that would open them up to a legal issue. If they were ever to do another Terminator movie and it had anything, any similarities to your thing, then that's a problem. Right. Um, so that's just that's just from a legal point of view. Closely, the other problem is like it's hard for me to read this and be like, where does your talent begin and the talent of James Cameron and everyone else who's already been involved with Terminator end essentially? So it's very it's one of the reasons why spec TV episodes are not as popular anymore. Kind of a spec episode of Friends or right. or whatever, they're not really as prevalent. People like to read original pilots because it's easy with the original pilot to tell someone's talent. Whereas when we're seeing you kind of drafting off of you know. Grey's Anatomy or whatever, it's right. hard to tell, okay, those characters are already pre-existing, those relations are pre-existing, so where's your skill in it? And so that's kind of where you run into it. I think there, I do think if you were to do something really offbeat and really weird, like completely insane, like an obscure thing or whatever, there could be something interesting in that, but I think the target is so, I've certainly never done it. I've just, I've never done I've never done an IP that I don't control. It just seems like a waste of time to right. me. Now I have done biopics, you know, like Blonde Ambition or Kings of Maine, right. who are but the stories of people that I don't control. But I feel like, and with those, I've been focused on telling a story that people are not necessarily familiar with as a way to demonstrate the writer's ability to tell a story. Sure. And and just to interrupt really quickly, uh, if if uh, listeners are interested. John did an amazing, uh, uh, he talked in depth about how he worked with the writers of both Blonde Ambition and Kings of Maine. I think you talked about Kings of Maine as well, yeah. a lot about Blonde Ambition and how you, how you helped develop them from, you know, germination of an idea to selling uh, and getting, uh, uh, you know, through that whole process. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and uh, so it's, it's, I think, it was the Christmas episode a couple Years ago, it's yeah, on the yeah, website. Yeah, yeah. You should definitely check it out because you know there's a lot of great stuff in there. I, so I think fun. telling someone else's story, um, hopefully a, a less well-known story, is a way to demonstrate ability. But I think going and doing, especially something like someone kept calling me like, I want to do Anchorman. What was it? 
It was Step Brothers 2. Right. Like, I'm doing Step Brothers 2. And I'm like, and I was like, you can't do Step Brothers 2. Why not? I have a great script for it. I have an amazing script. I'm like, Sony owns Step Brothers. And it was bizarre. This is actually someone who cold called me. They never, I would begin to like, really? It never became clear to them that they didn't, <laughs> they didn't, they couldn't just write Step right. Brothers 2 or something. They just send it to. Or, yeah, yeah, our buddy of mine was like, you should do Dirty Harry, the latest Dirty Harry movie. And I'm like, yeah, it's, yeah, not, it doesn't really work that way. <laughs> um, Look, I think if there's a way, I think there's probably a world where one could do a reinvention of something semi-obscure in a really cool way. But I would say, I can't say that I've ever heard of it happening. Right. Um, so I would say it's probably not the best use of someone's time. The, the, the simple thing is, hey, number one, it's legally sticky. and But I think also people will be like, where does your talent, what's your talent? Like, right. I want what's your voice? Because, you know, if you write a Star Wars script, I know... There's so much in there that's already existing. Just reads like fan fiction, right? You know, um, but I think if you're wanting to demonstrate your voice, using a very well-known IP is not necessarily the way to do it. If you're to do a super unknown IP, and if you're to do like, I kind of tell people like, if you want to do like a crazy pilot that's like Richie Rich, but like you've found a completely new way into it, right? But have to be really original. Okay, that could be a really interesting TV writing sample, right? You know, um, you know, there's there's a script that I really love. Um, whose name escapes me, um, but it was written in the, back when I was getting the industry, it must have been in the late 90s, early 2000s, and it was the story of the, the, the characters from, from Peanuts, Charlie Brown, et cetera, mm-hmm. but as their grown-up adults, and it was great, right. and I think, um, oh gosh, I think Emily Fox wrote it, I forget who wrote it, but it was an amazing script, and it was really, really interesting, and I think uh, the play, the, 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 the writer of um, Easy A, Burt Royal, wrote a a, a play called Good Grief, I believe, which is about clearly about Charlie Brown and like after the death of his dog, although they never use the names. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so like, there's a really smart way to do something that's interesting. Sure. But the I think what you're kind of speaking to more often than not is like I'm gonna write a Terminator, Terminator Seven, or right, whatever. Right. That's less interesting. If you found a really interesting way into an IP or something like like that movie Brightburn, it's clearly a riff on the Superman story. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's a great script called Man of Tomorrow that Jeremy Slater wrote, which kind of made his name. And that was a riff on Superman, but what if Superman had landed in Chicago and been raised by gangsters? But at no point did they ever use the word Superman. Mm-hmm. At no point did they ever use any of that stuff. It was just kind of obvious from some of this thing. So there's a way to be smart. By the way, none of that was ever sold. Um, but there's a way to be, but you have to be very, very smart about mythology. I view those more as mythology than IP, but I think the usual thing, I'm going to write a Star Wars movie, nobody wants that. Right. You know? <laughs> um, and lastly, I want to talk about a success story that uh, is, is a couple years in the making. Mm. Um, just sort of to give uh, a, a perspective on, uh-huh. you know, it's not necessarily an overnight success. Right, absolutely. On how you... Uh, were able to, you know, you, you're attached as a producer on a, a Infinite that you mm-hmm. developed with a client, mm-hmm. uh, with Chris Evans, starring uh, yeah, yeah, starring in it. Um, and, and how did that whole? So what had happened? This is kind of a really fascinating story. Um, I was approached by um, uh, a guy that I now got to know quite well called Rafi Crone, um, who's now at Matt Reeves's company, but the time was just working with Matt um, before Matt had a company and. Uh, he had, for years and years, he'd read this book called The Reincarnationist Papers by Eric Meinkrantz, and it was a self-published book, and he thought there was an amazing movie in it. Um, and I believe, 
in various iterations, Ian had pitched on it in one iteration when it was at a different company, never ended up moving forward. So he'd approached me because he'd always loved Ian's take. Um, and so um, I read the book. I thought there was a movie in it. I brought it to Ian. Ian was excited about it. I optioned the book. That took a long time to option the book. And there was some other legal stuff that kind of needed untangling. Um, and then Ian started developing. Ian and I and Rafi started developing an outline and a kind of a look at what, the, what, what it could be. Um, but Ian got busy with other work, and he was a writer on a TV show on Training Day and other stuff. And so it took a long time for him to write the script, um, just because he was busy with other stuff. And also, it was really hard. To, it was a very a lot of universe building. Mm-hmm. The story is basically um, about you know what if there were you know a few a few hundred people or a hundred people in the world who could reincarnate and remember their past lives, but not just their past lives, but those abilities. So you know, in the Matrix, he's like, I know Kung Fu. What if the reason you knew Kung Fu in the infinite world is because you know a number of lifetimes ago you were Kung Fu master? Right. Maybe you were even Bruce Lee or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was kind of the idea, and then you know that was kind of this idea of the infinites, essentially, um, which that which was a term, by the way, Ian came up with the idea, the ter- exact term infinite. Um, and so Ian developed it for a number of years. We sold it to Paramount. Uh, in, in 20, what, 2019? 2017. We sold it to Paramount in 2017. It was on the blacklist in 2017. Um, and uh, and we, with the Lawrence of producing, Ian did some work on it. Um, Antoine got to Antoine Fuqua. Antoine Fuqua loved it. Um, came on board. Um, got it to Chris Evans, who loved it as well. Came on board as well to star. Um, and it's just been a, and then, you know, been a great process. And I think... You know, it's it's an example of you know Ian had loved the idea, and it was, I you know I put my own money down to kind of option the mm-hmm. book, and um and you know after Rafi had brought it to me and Rafi was involved, and so it's just something really cool where you know we all feel really excited about it, and kind of fingers crossed that it continues to move forward um, in a great process. But I think it's a good example of how you know if you love an idea, you just have to keep the faith, and that was something where you know it took a while for Ian to write that script, and I had to kind of. Keep, renew the option on the, on the on the book and all that kind of stuff um, but it was well worth it because you know we knew we, we kind of believed that there was something there and you know and I'm not always right there are times I option a book or I don't do it very often um, but you know you, you or you, you develop a screenplay and it doesn't sell but that was something where we really believed really strongly in it um, and you know it was great to find a studio, and then Lorenzo Bonaventure and Mark Verradian, who believed in it, they took it to Paramount, and Paramount believed in it, and Antoine Fuqua believed in it, and Chris Evans believes in it. So it's been a, a nice process to kind of have other people agree with us, essentially, and be like, yeah, there's something here. And so, you know, that kind of keeps you going through all the times that you really believe in something, and maybe it doesn't pan out. Right. Because um, that happens more often than it doesn't. But it's nice to have a little success story and be like, hey, here's this kind of self-published book that Rafi brought to me that... I optioned and that Ian, Ian adapted and, and, you know, that we all really believed in. And sometimes these processes, um, you know, it can be very quiet. You just don't hear about them for a long time. But, you know, everybody's working. And I think the best thing you can do as a writer is really keep your head down, put the work in, pop out when you've got something you really truly believe in and are very excited about it and give it to the, then deliver it to the world. And if it does, by the way, it doesn't get the reaction that you want, learn from that, move on, go write the next one. Uh, and then, you know, and in, in, in over, over time, you'll become a better writer. And, and, you know, I've certainly seen it where if you really believe in something and you believe in an idea and you're, you're, you're tough on it and you believe in your writing and you're tough on your writing, that, you know, success can come from that. I can't think of a better way to end the podcast. That's Let's do it. Great That's awesome. a good way to yeah, and I wrap think, it up. Yeah. Um, 
So uh, be sure to check out our companion website, scriptsandscribes.com. We've got hundreds of other interviews and a ton of resources there, including a number of interviews with uh, our good friend John Zalzerny. Uh, thank you, John. As always, it's a pleasure having you on. Great information. Uh, and to you writers out there, stay on course, write every day and keep up the hustle. And thank you all for listening. <laughs>